Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, December 20th, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Well, tis the season to watch Christmas movies, and aside from the five that we listed earlier, I know there are a lot of others that are favorites, you got your classic Christmas movies like Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas in Connecticut, and A Christmas Carol, and you're right, Rusty, there's all kinds of iterations of A Christmas Carol. Then there's the animated classics I grew up with, like Charlie Brown's Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and The Polar Express. And then there's some more modern-day Christmas films like Elf, that's what uh, I would have voted for had it been voting earlier, A Christmas Story with the Red Rider BB gun, and uh, Tim Allen in The Santa Claus. But one of the more forgotten Christmas movies, probably because Christmas is only, it's not really that crucial to the main storyline, and that is Home Alone. Can you believe this is 25 years old? 1990 is when Home Alone first came out. It's the story of eight-year-old Kevin McAllister who gets inadvertently left Home Alone over Christmas when his family takes a vacation to Paris. Now, if you've never seen the film, and there may be a few of you out there, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, that's so unrealistic. I mean, what kind of awful parents would actually forget their child when they're traveling, right? Well, let me give you a few pertinent facts before we watch this clip. First of all, it was an extended family vacation. So there were numerous cousins, aunties, and uncles that had all gathered over at the house to accompany the McAllisters. Second, they came and slept at their house the night before, and it was during that night there was a storm and a tree fell on the electrical lines, and so all of the electricity was knocked out for the whole community. And this was back before everyone used their cell phone to wake them up in the morning, so none of the alarm clocks went off. And the family first was woken up when the, um, the buses that came to shuttle them to the airport knocked on their front door. The whole house was asleep, and that sent them into panic mode. Now, because the house was full of relatives, Kevin was forced to sleep in the attic. So when they were getting everybody running, nobody thought about going up in the attic to get Kevin. And then finally, when they had the bodies out there and they were counting heads and jackets and making sure they had the right number of people, a neighborhood boy came out and he was watching the the commotion of everything and his head got counted as Kevin's place. They didn't see the face, but just his head. So the family is scrambling to get out the door, to get in the vans, get all of their luggage there, and to get to the airport. This was a pre-9-11 movie, right? So they're running through security, just crazy down the hallways. They make it to the gate just in time, and they get onto the plane. And as they're settling into the flight, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes into the flight, Kevin's mom, Kate, has this funny feeling that they forgot something. Let's watch. What's the matter? Honey? I have a terrible feeling. 
feeling. Now what? That we didn't do something. Ah, now you feel that way because we left in such a hurry. We took care of everything. Believe me, we did. Did I turn off the coffee? No. I did. Did you lock up? Yeah. Did you close the garage? That's it. I forgot to close the garage. That's it. No, that's not it. <laughs> What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! <laughs> Welcome to week four in our Advent series called Through Mary's Eyes. And each week during December, we're looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary. Jesus's mother, but we're looking at it through different points in Mary's life and examining how her understanding of the birth of Jesus might have changed over time. Today we get to see what kind of awful parents leave their kid behind when they're traveling, right? And to be fair to Mary and Joseph, there's a few pertinent facts about their scenario that bears uh, repeating our understanding before we rush to judgment. Luke 2, 41 and 42. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. Now, there are just three stories in Luke's gospel that deal with Jesus' childhood, outside of the birth story, of course. Each of these three stories take place around a religious experience. The first came when Jesus was just eight days old. His parents took him to the temple for circumcision. This was also the Jewish tradition that marked the naming of a son. The second account is just a verse later in chapter 2. Mary is brought, uh, Mary and Jesus come to the temple along with Joseph as a part of Mary's ritual purification. You see, after a baby boy is circumcised, for the next 33 days, uh, the mother was forbidden to come to the temple or to touch any, anything that was holy. And if you had a baby girl, that time doubled. It became 66 days. Kind of just shares a little bit about how women and men were viewed back in biblical days. Anyway, at the end of her purification, uh, she would come to the temple and she would bring an animal sacrifice. It would have to be a lamb and either a pigeon or a turtle dove. Or if the couple was really poor, they could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And, the, and Luke tells us that's what Mary and Joseph brought, uh, two turtle doves. On that same day, they also met a man named Simeon in the temple. Uh, Simeon had been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In fact, sometime in a dream, God had told him, you will not die until you see the Messiah, the anointed one that's coming. And so he just hung out in the temple all the time, waiting and waiting. And when Jesus came, uh, at eight, uh, just about 40 days old with his parents, God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, told Simeon, this is the one. And so Luke says that Simeon picked up Jesus in his arms and then said this to God. Verse 29. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. What a, what a memorable moment for Jesus, for, for Mary and Joseph when they're there with Jesus. To be in the temple, to hear these wonderful words said, this, this revelation given, prophecy about their son. A few verses later, they have another encounter with a prophetess named Anna. 
Luke tells us that when she saw Jesus, uh, Anna began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then Luke says that Mary and Joseph traveled back to their hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. The third story about Jesus' childhood is what was read for us by Rusty this morning. This is Jesus being left in Jerusalem after the Passover. Now, the law of Moses required that devout Jews make pilgrimage from wherever they lived in Israel back to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year for three different festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. But if you lived far away and maybe you didn't have a lot of money and it was going to be a burden to be able to come three times, you had to come at least once, and Passover was the default that everyone came to. Here's a map of Israel. Actually, it's a picture taken from the space shuttle with a few uh, of the cities in Israel labeled. Now, as you can see, Nazareth is up north by the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus was raised by Mary and Joseph. Jerusalem was down south, uh, and that's where the temple was. And then Bethlehem is very, very close to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was born. If they would have been walking at the average pace of 15 miles a day, which is typical for people back then, then it would have taken Mary and Joseph with Jesus between four and five days each way to walk from from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. The Passover festival lasted for seven days. It recalled God's saving activity from centuries before when the people were slaves in Egypt and eventually were released and God brought them into the promised land. So every year, the Jewish people gather back at Jerusalem to remember, to give thanks, and to praise the God who saves. It was a wonderful time with friends and family, with with renewed spiritual passion. It was one of those mountaintop experiences. Every time you left, you knew that you had been in the presence of God. And at the end of the week-long celebration, the pilgrims from Galilee would have returned home together. Verse 43. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Now, this isn't just a few people packing up the, mini ba- the minivan, making sure we got all of our sleep- sleeping bags and suitcases and heading-, heading on the road to get home. No, this is a large group of people that would walk together. A-, a-, a town like Nazareth was very, very small. They may have all come down together. Guys would be hanging out with guys. They'd be talking about professional gladiator associate, whatever the sports thing was back then, right? The women would be all together and they'd be talking about whatever women talk about back then. The children would be in different groups, probably by age, and they'd be intermixed between the different adults and they would make this long processional four to five days going back home. I wonder if Mary had a similar conversation as they were getting ready to settle for that night, wherever it was, the big campfire and making sure the kids are washing hands and they're getting ready to eat. And they're like, uh, what are we forgetting, Joseph? I, I think there might be something. And then they realized, verse 44, when they started looking for him among their relatives and friends and they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Can you imagine? They've traveled a day's journey. It's dark now. You don't travel at night. That's not a safe time to travel. Unless you've left your kid in Jerusalem, then you do whatever it takes to get back. What was going on in their hearts and their minds? What did they talk about? I'm sure they walked a lot faster than the 15. uh, they they, they uh, They probably got back to Jerusalem faster than they got to wherever they were during that day. It was, it must have been a harrowing 
uh, travel and, and time for Mary and Joseph. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Because this is actually a very significant passage that we have before us. Did you know this is the only piece of scripture that covers Jesus's like being a kid? We talked about the two others, but that was when he was really, really young. And his parents were still doing the birth, delivery, dedication kind of thing. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, deal with Jesus's birth. Mark and John, they just jump right into his adult ministry. So between the time Jesus was 40 days old and 30 years old, this is the only story that was preserved in the Gospels of Jesus. This one, the one where Jesus gets left behind in Jerusalem. Why would they pick this one? It's probably a question that people started asking because around the second and third centuries, um, someone decided to write a book to fill in the gaps. They wrote a book called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And in this gospel, it was full of stories that claimed to be from Jesus' childhood. Like the day that Jesus was um, playing in the mud and he dammed up a creek in order to make a pool and to build things. You know, like kids, boys and girls love playing in the mud, right? Well, he was making mud birds, it says. He was having a great time until another kid came by and kicked down the dam that he had made. And then the water was released and it just wrecked everything that he was doing. Well, Jesus didn't take that very well, according to the infancy gospel of Thomas. And he clapped his hands together. The mud birds turned into real birds and they flew away. And then he cursed the pesky tormentor that had kicked down his dam and he died. The end. Isn't that a great story? You know, read it around the table with the children at night. Yeah. Want to read another one? This one we'll take directly from the gospel. After this, Jesus again went through the village, and a child ran and knocked against his shoulder. Jesus was angered and said to him, you shall not go further on your way, and immediately fell down and died. But some who saw what took place said, from where was this child born? Since his every word is an accomplished deed. And the parents of the dead child came to Joseph and blamed him. It always goes back to the parents, doesn't it? Since you have such a child, you cannot dwell with us in the village. Teach him to bless and not to curse. For he is killing our children. The end. Aren't these stories just precious? You want to just stitch them and hang them on your wall, don't you think, right? Now, you could probably begin to see why these didn't make the Bible, right? When they were getting together and they were looking at the stories from Jesus' life, what are the ones that we're going to think that, that lift up as the most meaningful, the ones that connect to all of us? This did not make it. Nope. Instead, all we have is one story about Jesus at age 12. It's actually kind of interesting that Luke tells us that Jesus was 12. You see, in Jewish culture, a boy becomes a man when he's 13, right? That, that's when they have the bar, the bar mitzvah for a woman, the bat mitzvah. Uh, some might say that, well, he's 12, so he's still a child. It's the, uh, it's the age that you get to pay the cheaper fare getting into Disneyland, right? And once they move up, then the, the prices go higher. Uh, but there's a rabbinic passage that says, that talks about the age of accountability. When, when young people can make their commitment to God, their vows... And for boys, it was 12 years and one day. At 12 years and one day, a young man could make a vow of commitment to God. But the one caveat was, someone else had to examine the vow before it became binding. 
Biblical scholar Richard Vinson remarks, it's kind of like a parent having to co-sign on, on their, their child's loan, right? It's still the child's loan, but in case of defaulting, the parents are going to be uh, held responsible. Same thing. A 12-year-old boy could make that vow of commitment, and the parents said, we're going to make sure that he, lifts, he fulfills that, at least until he becomes a man at age 13. So that takes us back to our story for today. Where do you think Mary and Joseph first thought to look? It says they, they spent three days looking for him, right? So they're, they're, child, they're finding all these different places for Jesus, like Toys R Us, the mall, Legoland. Where, where are they going? If, if, if I was 12, it would have been the, the uh, pizza parlor that had the Pac-Man, the Asteroid Games, the Missile Command. That's where I liked hanging out. Peter Piper Pizza in Scottsdale, Arizona, if you want to know. Or maybe at, at friends' homes. Maybe they had stayed with some, some, some friends in Jerusalem for Passover. Maybe they went to the hospital, right? Parents start worrying. Maybe you, you got sick or hurt or something. Or, God forbid, the morgue, right? Because a mom and a dad's head start going crazy after time and thinking all the worst-case scenarios. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So even at age 12, people are beginning to be amazed at what Jesus says. If we would add a modern-day phrase, we might say people are, are, are blown away by what Jesus would say and how he interacted with them. Amazed, astounded, astonished. These are three words that are frequently used to describe people's reaction to Jesus. These also happen to be the same three words used in the Old Testament to describe people's reaction to God's work among them in Israel. I guess like father and like son, huh? Matthew uses these three words 11 times in his gospel. Mark uses them 10 times. Luke, 13 times. John, another 10 times. Amazed, astounded, astonished. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And now we know Mary is just like every other mom, right? I mean, first of all, she had to call him child. Not, not his name, Jesus. Child, why have you done this? That must have made 12-year-old, just on the cusp of manhood Jesus, feel really good in the temple with all the buddies, right? Actually, any of us who are parents or grandparents can relate. You know, that tried and true 180-degree thing that starts with, are you okay? You're okay. You're not hurt. Oh, don't ever do that to us again, right? And start shaking them and all, you know, you, you're safe. Okay, now I'm going to let you have it because you just put us through, I don't even want to talk about it. But Now, Mary is probably 26 or 28 years old. Did you notice the word that Luke tells us described their reaction? They were astonished. As in, you've got to be kidding me, son. Why, why didn't you at least, like, send one of your mudbirds with a message to let us know, right? <laughs> and then she says that Mary caused, or that Jesus caused she, she and Joseph great anxiety. Now, the phrase is used only one other place in the Gospel of Luke, and that's in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In that story, the word is used to describe what hell is like. Great anxiety. So Mary is literally saying, child, you've put us through a living hell 
these last few days. It's just another one of the joys of parenting, right? It just comes and goes, the, the good things and the not-so-good things, joy and sorrow. By the way, if Jesus did this to his parents and he was the son of God, well, maybe we shouldn't be surprised when our kids do the same to us, right? Sometimes the best we can do as parents and grandparents is to entrust our kids to God, to pray really hard, and then love them along the way through all of the ups and downs. Verse 49 Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Now, it's easy to pass right over this until we stop and realize this is the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. This is the first thing that he ever says that is written in the Gospels. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? As a friend of mine who's a United Methodist pastor, Mark Feldmeyer, puts it, even at the age of 12, Jesus seemed to understand that his life belonged to God. Now, whether he knew at age 12 the extent of that relationship and where that would ultimately lead, we don't know. But something was clicking in his 12-year-old brain, and Jesus was aware that God had some kind of special claim upon his life and that he chose to respond to that claim at age 12. He was about his father's business. He was intentionally back in the temple. Funny how it takes some of us a lot longer than 12 years to come to that realization, doesn't it? Which takes us back to Mary. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother, Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. Now, one verse before we hear that she and Joseph didn't understand what it was that Jesus was saying to them. So it's interesting to hear that now that they've come home, once the shock of losing and searching and finding Jesus uh, wore off, once the gift of time has set in, they have a chance, or at least Mary does, to take a different tact. She treasures all these things in her heart. Something that she would have the opportunity to do at least a couple over the times over the course of Jesus' life. I wonder if one of those other times was back in that day when she met Simeon in the temple. Remember after her purification? And I shared with you what Simeon had said to them about Jesus, about being a light for revelation and a glory for God. And and then Mary and Joseph were, it said, Luke said, were amazed at what was being said about him. But that's not all that Simeon said that day. Chapter 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined For the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So this child is going to grow up to do amazing, life-changing things, says Simeon, but there is also a price that will be paid. Your own soul will be pierced too. How could Mary at age 14, maybe 15 or 16, comprehend what the extent of that statement might have been. But then 12 years later, now she's 26, 27, 28. She's just returned from Jerusalem after the heart attack that Jesus gave them. Maybe then she can go back and look at that moment in the temple with Simeon in a little bit different way. Maybe she can start to think deeper about what that might have meant. Now, we know that Mary would come to have her heart pierced 21 years after Jesus' Jerusalem escapade. 
when she would hear the crowds calling for her son's death, death by crucifixion, when they saw, when she saw him taken outside of the city to the place of the skull, she was there when they drove nails through his hands and feet. She would have heard his cries of pain and anguish. This woman would have to bear the weight of watching her son die on a cross. And what was going through her mind on that fateful, dark day? Do you think it's possible that in the hours she spent there at Golgotha, she might have thought back to Christmas, to the angels and the shepherds, to the night Jesus was born? Maybe once again she was called to mind the encounter with Simeon in the temple and the prophecy that was made about her newborn baby that a sword would also pierce her soul and why that pain was still throbbing, maybe she remembered another moment. That moment when Jesus was 12 and he got left behind in Jerusalem. And then they searched and they searched and it took them three days and when they finally found him, he said to them, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Could it be that standing there at the foot of the cross, Mary remembered all of those moments and that she knew that her son, as painful as it was, was still about his father's business? That's what happens when we have the opportunity to slow down in the busyness of life, when we take time to treasure these things in our heart like Mary did. I think the phrase to treasure something in your heart is to hold on to certain experiences so that we, can, we know that God is doing something. We may not know what it means or where it's going, but we know they're significant. And to hold on to them until that point in time when the Holy Spirit gives us greater insight. Mary treasured these things in her heart. I close with a passage from my friend Mark Feldmeyer. I think, though, the words could have been spoken by Mary. He says, sacramentalize everything you can in this world. Make everything a means of grace. Make every moment an opportunity for pleasing God. Make every deed, every word, every thought a fragrant offering to God. Understand every word is heard by God. Every deed is seen by God. Every thought known by God who knows every secret hidden in the heart. Friends, this Advent, we got five days left in Advent, and then we move into the Christmas season. May we, like Jesus, be about our Father's business. May our lives become true offerings for God. And when we go through difficult, painful, even perplexing and challenging situations, we have no idea where it's heading and how God is going to sort it all out. May we, like Mary, treasure them in our heart, that we wait for insight and wisdom in God's timing. And may we recognize the true gift that we have in Jesus this Christmas. Thanks be to God. Amen.